0: Welcome friends to part 2 of the Nepal coexisting with giants series. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell Norman, conservation biologist and world traveler. Is there someone you've met along your journey that has had a profound impact on your way of thinking? Where did you meet this person? What did you learn and how is their wisdom still influencing your view of the world? Today's guest, Jack Kinross was that for me and more. Jack and I met in Bardia National Park, a land known for its remote locale and infamous tiger population. Located in the Terai, this area is characterized by grasslands, sow forests, and marshes. Picture Disney's Jungle Book and BBC's Planet Earth 2 Grasslands episode, and you'll have a good idea of what the environment is like. Hailing from New Zealand, Jack is a conservationist and leopard expert working to combat the illegal wildlife trade. He first came to Nepal 20 years ago to tackle the out-of-control leopard poaching crisis happening throughout Asia and subsequently fell in love with the country. Jack is very open and not scared to speak his mind. We talk about a wide range of topics, some of which are dark, but the truth of what's really going on. If you're easily offended or talking about controversial topics makes you uncomfortable, then this might not be the show for you. But if you're open-minded and want to hear the raw reality of living with dangerous animals, then you'll want to stay right here. Absolutely no judgment either way. As you'll soon hear, the format of this episode is a little different. Jack mentions several events, stories, and concepts that might be hard to follow without any background knowledge. So I interject a few times to give you further information and help piece together the bigger picture. Okay, you're probably now very curious to hear what Jack talks about, and I'll open the floodgates now. Here, friends, is my conversation with Jack Ken Ross in Bardia National Park, Nepal. I think to really paint the picture of what's going on and why your work is so important, it would be really cool to take it back a step and just kind of tell us a little bit more about you. How in the world did you end up in Nepal from New Zealand? Okay. You know,
1: a lot of people are interested in that, but but how a Kiwi ended up here, well, we have this very close relationship with Nepal anyway because it was a New Zealander and a Nepali who first climbed Everest. So historically, we go way back. I mean, Stephen Hillary was on those early expeditions and Sherpa climbed the mountain together. It it, it really bonded the two countries. Mm. And I was fortunate to talk to Sir Ed about it because we're a little country. And I'll tell you a little story on this. Everybody knows everybody. You literally can contact anybody in New Zealand. It's it's changing a little bit now because we're up to a the huge population of $5 million. But in 2003, we did talk about it. He knew I, I was coming here for a kind of tiger thing. And we discussed his time here. And he said, you know, climbing the mountain was important, but only because it led him to do the real work, which is to build schools.
0: Oh, wow. You know, that
1: was what he saw the mountain uh, as being the the vehicle for, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He, he, he was an awesome guy. He, he was kind of like a typical gruff kind of in-your-face Kiwi. We kind of say how we feel. But we can do it because no, no one takes offense. You know? we, <laughs> yeah. we just do it and, and everyone just still gets on. You know, There's no, there's no kind of like fester and kind of stuff going on. And, and so he, he was very much the typical Kiwi in that respect. And I think he, he came in with that attitude and he got things done. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was building all these schools um, at a time when the borders hadn't been open all that long. So he became kind of a bit of a rock star in the Nepal. So Kiwis have always been embraced here. You know what I mean? Because they know we're... We have a genuine love of the place. And for me, yeah, I, I was kind of drawn here by the mountains. I, I used to be a, a mountaineer, but I quickly realized there was so much more to it. And even the lowlands, you know, not many people realise, and I certainly didn't, how, how much of the, um, you know, we're on the Gangetic Plain here, which, you know, it feels like India. And, and the lowlands, you know, there's more people here than actually in the uplands or in the Himalaya. And it's just as integral to Nepal as, as this whole Himalayan Perception that most people have. So, I, I, I'm going to kind of jump over a little bit. So, like most Kiwis and like most people, you, you fall in love with the place, but you quickly understand that there's things going on here. It would be better if they weren't. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you look at, like most people, you know, how, how can you help? And at that stage, my involvement with big cat conservation was more around illegal wildlife trade. And I can't speak too much about that, unfortunately. One day I'll write it down when the time is right. In your
0: autobiography. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but,
1: But unfortunately, it's still kind of going on, and this thing's going on. But that meant coming back. Uh, during the war period you know several times and, and I had quite a close uh, working relationship with the head of WWF a guy called Dr. Chanjitagong who was an amazing guy unfortunately he died in a helicopter crash along oh, with wow. a lot of other prominent conservation and shortly after that I kind of lost my connection with the place on a personal level a little bit because it, it stymied the work that I could do and then in 2010, which was the, the the next year of the tiger, I, I was frustrated with illegal wildlife wild trade. What was happening? You know, we just seemed, it just seemed to be just getting worse and worse and worse. Not not just in South Asia, but right across Asia and globally, really. So I, I looked at my own frame. How can I do better? You know, how can I learn more about this country and what's really happening with the trade and immerse myself more to to really understand it? Because I felt like the the trips, even if it was like just a few days, or a few weeks, or even two or three months, I still didn't really understand the pole. So I, I came back in early 2010, at the start of the year of the tiger, and it was interesting. Just before February 14th, is the Chinese, you know, astrology, and um, I, I talked to a politician about it. and He said, "Well, first, Jack, never try and understand the pole because no one does." <laughs> know, he, he, he was a politician, and he said, "None of us do." You know, he said, you know, he said "I was born here, and, and and I'm supposed to be doing good, but." it's it's a very complicated place and not many people really get a grasp of it foreigners virtually none and even people living here you know they only see it through their own frame mm-hmm. and that can be driven by caste or other family structure or education or region mm-hmm. and because we're in a place that is so it's just a bloody geographical nightmare getting from a to b but that has dictated people's thinking a lot. I mean, if you're living in one valley, the kind of social social dynamics there can be quite different to what's happening in the next valley. Wow. And then what's happening down on the plains, which kind of borders this porous border with India. So he said to me, that's the best advice I can give you is that, you know, you're going to just strike such a, a range of thinking. That if you let it, it will mess with your head. And I said no problem. So it was really good advice because it meant that I had to really be open, much more open-minded mm. than than I had been previously about Nepal, maybe because I, I was frustrated with the level of illegal wildlife trade that was happening in here, and herein, because I was wondering why war wasn't being done. But then you know there was a war on, and even though you, you didn't you couldn't always see it, you, you kind of came across parts of it, you're always hearing things on the news, and I never heard one bomb go off in the distance. And that was a little bit of a wake-up call. But later on, when a, when a friend who was from Badia almost got killed, that was mm. quite a big wake-up call. And all these little things started to add up, and I started to understand that, yeah, people here are tired of the war, and it's affected so much of the way things work here, and obviously the way wildlife crime is combated. It's just not a high priority, and especially like here in Badia, the... The army had to just go and fight the insurgents elsewhere. So the, the place was like a hotbed of poaching. And I couldn't get here once, actually. I, I had to come and pick up some information. I couldn't even get here. And, and another time when I did, I went down a road on a jeep to talk to somebody. Just under four weeks later, another jeep went down that road and it blew up and landmines. Oh and I think gosh. it was 11 people were killed. So all these things started to add up for me. The, the place was just not functioning properly. So how could wildlife crime be combated on a, on any level? And and Chandra Chandra when I spoke to him around this time in two thousand three, it was shortly after one hundred and nine leopard skins had been seized in Kathmandu. And I spoke to him about it, and he said, "Look, Jack, that's just not a priority, you know. If it had been one hundred and nine tiger skins, yeah, But um, we would have had to get a lot of international help to combat it, but it was just like." People went through the process, a couple of arrests made, but it just wasn't a priority. And, and But I, I learned later, yeah, I could see why. So 2010, I went to a place called Namo Buddha on February the 14th. And Namo Buddha is the place, it's just out of Kathmandu, and it's just monastery. It's now a monastery. It used to be just a stupa. And it was where an incarnation of the Buddha gave his life to a tigress so she could feed her cubs. And i had been there wow. before, but I wanted to go there to try and get some clarity of, of my next step. And I'd been to Bardia previously. But shortly afterwards, I was back on a plane to here and just a whole sequence of events started happening. You know what I mean? I met one or two people that I may not have otherwise met if I hadn't come by plane that day. And, and that was where my involvement with this, the community-based anti-poaching unit started because one of the guys I met, Hamanta, it, it led to a collaboration. We actually didn't meet till we were here, but we were on the plane. And then we took separate jeeps, but, but then we met later because one of the guys was on the plane said, you should meet. So that collaboration continues to this day and he come back to badia because what had happened was his father who, who was a very important man in the um, formation of the buffer zone here was killed by an elephant just before i got here you know what i mean and then amante had gone back to Kathmandu, and then he, he was on the plane In fact, it was him that was covering me in.
0: It was? Yeah. covered it in all the collars? Yeah. You know, (laughs) and
1: and, and there's been a lot of stuff um, in the 11 years since, really. So my relationship with Barty, even though it goes back almost 20 years, I really only feel that it's been in the last four, four to five, because I've been here most of the time, that I've really started to understand the place. And even then, there's things here that still mystify me.
0: Pretty interesting so far, right? Before we move on, I want to provide some additional information about the opening portion of this conversation. In Nepal, the army protects the country's national parks and spends many hours of their day patrolling the grounds, checking tourist jeeps, and much more. But during the decade-long Civil War, which lasted from 1996 to 2006, the army was pulled from the parks to fight the insurgents, allowing poachers to kill wildlife unhindered. Okay, back to the story.
1: But and now I'll kind of move on to the current situation because it makes sense. After the war, which finished in late last decade, and, and peace treaties were started to be signed, and you know there was still a lot of instability, but the conservation focus started to lift again. There was much more money coming into the country, and organizations were starting to get their act together. And there was a real chance to, with the army fully mobilized here and in Checkpoint again, there was a chance to... Just let the dust settle and see what could happen. Let's get the tiger population to a healthy level again. And also later in that year, 2010, there was a big meeting where a lot of tiger people came together. I was supposed to go to it, but I kind of got sidetracked. I was in (laughs) London and then I was in Switzerland on my way here. And Anyway, but the the commitment then was from all the tiger range states that we double the the tiger population. I didn't like it personally. I, I thought... You know, as a conservationist, I, I don't like this kind of statistical propaganda. You know, I to me it should be okay. Yeah, we keep the focus on the tiger as an icon species and use it as an umbrella species. But doubling numbers and all the stuff that 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 can lead to conservation modality that isn't maybe kosher. You know what I mean? It, it can mm-hmm. make, it can put pressure on conservationists in, in, in a way. That isn't fair, but more importantly, when you're dealing with with landscapes, you've got to look at what, what the best way is to build up robust ecosystems. And the statistics can tell you what's going on, but you shouldn't be trying to influence those statistics as such, you know what I mean? Because they are only yeah. the statistics. It is only data. The data should come to you. You shouldn't be trying to manipulate the data in, in a way, just to try and achieve an outcome, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel that's what's happened here a little bit.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Because, yeah, the the tiger population in Bardia has certainly doubled from a very low base. And in, in the poll, it's effectively doubled. I mean, and by the count, the tiger census next year, it probably will double because that's what the statistics will say <laughs> yeah, whether it's accurate or not um, you never know because the way census works is you know you, you can't count every tiger and you, it's not possible so you have to do it in a certain way and, and, and try and get a level of accuracy but Nepal needs to be congratulated yes that yeah it's it's double the, um, the tiger population in three countries Nepal India and Bhutan, are all kind of claiming that they're the first. So that will play out, and, and the politicians will have play their games with it. I don't buy into it, and and most people who have been involved in any sort of big cat ecology don't buy into it mm. either, because if you look at what's happened, and maybe some of the methods that we use to get tiger population up to this level, and things like grassland management, where you can increase the the prey base of you know the, you know certain types of deer. That's all very well and good. But if you had just left it alone completely and let nature do the job, what would have happened? Because these deer also graze in these mixed forests and south forests as well, you know what I mean? But had that happened, we may not have as many tigers, but maybe that's what nature would have wanted Mm -hmm. for now based on the amount of protected area we have. And if we didn't have this many tigers we wouldn't have this much conflict i can pretty much bank on that Mm -hmm. so that's where this whole doubling of tiger things and the status of doing that don't get me wrong there's some very genuine people here who thought it was the right way to go but there was a lot of us who didn't but anyway we've we've got to look at the here and now okay that's what's happened when we've got certain management systems in place and we've got this many tigers and we've got the prey base such as it, as it is on, in this flat area, the Canale floodplain, and it's kind of stable. But now we're at a place where we've got tigers dispersing to, to biological corridors, which don't have a lot of prey base and do have a lot of human activity, a lot of grazing of livestock, a lot of foraging. And we've got these tigers also um, dispersing into the upland area, into what they call the Tudy, the, the well that's one name of it. And there the prey base is also not what it needs to be if these tigers are going to disperse and, and not get into conflict. So to, to put it in a nutshell, Badia National Park and Banke National Park, which adjoins it, and, and Kataniyagat Wildlife Sanctuary across the border, you know, we are all kind of one, one tiger complex. We, we have a problem. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, you can frame it any way you want. You say, are there too many tigers? There's no point. This is what we've got, you know, and this is how we manage that from here. And across those three areas, which I've just named since the start of 2019, we've lost either 30 people or or just below that. So we've become a bit of a global hotspot, actually. But that's not new. I mean, West Nepal and Uttarakhand, which is the the state next to us, and also Uttar Pradesh, which is the state below us. Those three areas, historically, there has been a lot of human big cat conflict. We've had... Tigers and leopards, who, you know, have taken out a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds. But it did settle down in West Nepal because there weren't many big cats left. Tiger population has gone up. People, there's there's been this sudden surge in human fatalities. So, so that so that's where we're at. There's no point going. Well, we should have done this. We should have done that. But it's maybe important to to look at it in context so we can learn from what happened and how we can maybe do it better if we want to keep this tiger population stable and, and maybe increase a little bit. But personally, I don't think it needs to increase much more. You know what I mean? But cats are cats, no matter what. You know, from little domestic cat in Denver to here, <laughs> they know how to breed. Yes. <laughs> they know how to make babies. And if you give them the opportunity, and that's essentially what, what has happened once the army managed to start patrolling again, then that's what they'll do, and and that's what's happened. So we, we have now this population of tigers. The last census showed us 87. You know, we, we could be, an, and if you add in banke uh, we're, we're around that sort of 110 mark. It, it, it's probably more or less that now or, or a few more. Looking at the whole area, the, the, the square kilometres of, of the two parks plus Catenioba. and and if you add in the leopard population, we, we've probably got around... 200 big cats mm. and a few more leopards on, on the out, outskirts. So, so we, we've got you know, a decent amount of big cats in the area that we have to manage. So what do we do now? <laughs> and if we carry on the way we are with our management, with our conflict mitigation, I think we're just going to carry on facing the problem mm. in a way where we just deal with that tiger and, and we deal with that community and we just put band-aids there. You know what I mean? And if we're going to remove tigers from a certain area, put them in jail, it's not the solution. You know, it's really not. It it will will be the solution for maybe a little while. But this morning, a a guy was attacked in an area where two tigers have been removed, and everybody Mm. was chilling out, going, wow, it's good. Now we can celebrate holy and peace. So then we, we look at okay, that guy, he, he went into the jungle too early. He was on his own. And this was contrary to the guidelines that we've been trying to put out there since this serious conflict started. So immediately you go, well, this guy did the wrong thing. And we had that discussion this morning. And we were all sitting there going, yeah, you know, he did the wrong thing. But just isolating his mistake isn't going to solve the problem either. Because, okay, why was the tiger there? It's dispersed into that area. How is that tiger managing? How is the next tiger in that territory managing, and and what's going on in the whole dynamic. Are these tigers stressed, as the studies in India are showing in tourism area? Are their cortisol levels at a place where the core population is breeding stressed tigers that don't know how to cope? Mm. And when they have to disperse, they're moving into these areas where they're sharing space with us, and their prey choice, their menu, is different to the ones that are safely operating in the core. And the tourists come in and see, and everything's wonderful. So, you know, we, we have to start looking, looking at that. And then, the other thing we've really got to start looking at and bring together is what I want to go back to a few, a few minutes ago is all our perspectives, you know, all our attitudes to, to tiger. And um, if we look at it, the people that visit Bardia because um, I hear it's a great place to see tiger, which it is. They come in with a certain perspective, a certain thinking, and it's really good because they their dollars, their rupees are really important. And they come in and take they have their tiger encounter and take the photos and go away feeling wonderful. Okay, and that's good. And then the people that took them into the jungle, the guides, there's an interaction between those two groups. And everything's quite positive, you know what I mean? Because they're showing them this, this really lush, nice area, and they encounter animals, and maybe they didn't just see tiger, they saw rhino, and possibly even elephant, and, and obviously lots of deer, and maybe some other things as well, you know, and and, and, and other species. So it, it's all kind of positive. So the guides are happy that these people saw tiger, or even if they didn't, they saw something else and they had a nice time, so they're happy. And the hotel that those guides work for, if they're independents, you know, there's a flow-on effect there, and they're even happier if the clients give them a tip, you know. Rosy rosy rosy. So we, we have we have that kind of quotient to it. We have that kind of perspective. And then maybe the guides took these clients past one of the range posts and you saw some they saw some soldiers there or some of the game scouts and that was a nice interaction and all namaste, namaste and everything's good. Positives. But then those guys are the ones that are every day, sometimes twice a day patrolling what what is now quite a dangerous situation. You know we saw I
0: mean? them out walking yeah. and on bikes. Like, yeah. Yeah, there was yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of them.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, there's a hundred soldiers just in our area, which is great. This is why we have this meeting I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's awesome. This is where <laughs> Nepal has done really well. There was a decision made a long time ago to do this, and that was a good decision. That's why we have this stable tiger population. That's why we have rhinos, and it's why we, we have all these animals in the park. But their perspective of tigers is a little bit different. Yeah. Now, because although it's all this, they have to get up in the middle of the night, and in, in winter when it's freezing cold, and maybe they have to set up like, you know there's all different ways that patrols work and and they wouldn't like me to tell you
0: <laughs> all oh yeah secrets. yeah
1: but but you know it's it's not easy work and you know i i, I most days i'm kind of in contact with those guys particularly the game scouts and so their perspective is a little bit different and to me they don't actually get enough recognition um they don't get tips from the yeah tours.
0: Yeah. When you they're know? the ones, yeah, and yet they why really there. ever
1: inter- interact with tourists, yeah, and they're, they're the actual reason mm-hmm. we have the um, they're on the ground. So their perspective is a little bit different. They do the hard work, and in the main, they're really cool about it. They they accept this is their life. But for people who are getting paid kind of a little bit less than seven dollars a day, it's not easy. It's not easy, you know. We're coming to hot season now. Like the weather's beautiful now. Normally, it's a little bit harder and there's no mosquitoes, and we were saying today, man, it doesn't feel right, but it will be. They'll they'll be here soon. You're leaving at the right time. And soon it'll be 45 degrees, and man, it's just, it's not that great. It's my least favorite time of of Bardia. But those guys are on patrol. They can't not do it because they're too hot. They can't not do it because, you know, they got really smashed by mosquitoes the night before and they don't feel well, you know what I mean? They have to be out there. So, so their perspective of tiger is a little bit different to the people who visit and to the tourism sector who, who kind of know what's going on, but they're still happy. You know what I mean? And then you jump to the people who are living on the fringes of the park and have to deal with tigers eating their livestock and in the last two years eating them. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist. To work out what their perspective
0: probably just, is. I can't even no, I can't even fathom.
1: No. no. And what, what I'll quickly say first is in the having having been to a lot of cases where particularly leopard have taken people, I my heart goes out to these people. And I I respect their tolerance that they've had up to that point.
0: Phew! That was a lot to sink in. I know it was for me sitting with Jack as he was sharing this information. At the beginning of this section, Jack mentions the concept of doubling tigers. If you haven't heard of this initiative before, I'll explain further. In 2010, the Chinese Year of the Tiger, leaders from 13 countries with current or recent tiger populations came together to formulate a plan to double tiger numbers by the next Chinese Year of the Tiger in 2022. Lots of resources and support have gone into this initiative and tiger numbers have definitely increased. Not living anywhere close to these 13 countries, I will be the first to admit that I didn't think about the possible negative consequences more tigers might bring until Jack discussed them. I'm grateful he brought this up because it made me reflect. I know I love seeing tigers in the wild and am so happy tiger numbers are increasing, but should people die for this? Hmm. Talk about a moral question to sit on. Next, Jack mentions reports of heightened cortisol levels in tigers that reside in India's tourism areas and hypothesizes that similar stress levels are occurring in Bardia's tigers, which might be a factor in the increased conflict that they're seeing. I found multiple peer-reviewed papers discussing this phenomenon at length and have provided them in the show notes at rewildology.com if you'd love to learn more about this. But for now, let's get back to Jack. Leopard
1: is kind of more my, my thing, but only because in many ways, Tiger led me to it. And, and I could talk for hours about, okay, when you go back to why i in the pile, I mean, there's a whole story of how the, the leopard thing happened. Although the, the 109 skins seized, it, it really got me yeah. thinking much more about those cats. And really the last 20 years, more and more and more, I have. But I, I will tell you briefly about one experience which changed my perspective again. Because this is what it's all about. It's about people's yes. perspective and how we can bring those together. So, so you know, if you've got a village that where, where the, the leopards or, or even one leopard is causing problems because it has no natural prey, or it's discovered, it's worked out the dogs are a lot easier to hunt than deer, which they are, and so are goats, especially if people don't lock them up properly or, or other livestock. So it's spending more time in those areas. And it's think if it's a leopard in this area, it's going, man. You know why? Why hang out with those big striped bastards? Might take me or my offspring or my girlfriends out, when I can easily go and outside. I can sit, sleep in a tree all day, go into a village, and and get my hunger satisfied, and you don't have to do anything for a week. You know what I mean? And so, th- th- there's been quite a high degree of tolerance until recently, with villagers on that through kind of spiritual attachment and and just the way that N- Nepalese are, but. Not totally, you know. There's a lot of people, even historically, have retaliated. But when that same leopard, whether by design or by chance or whatever, takes a little one, a little human, everything changes.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Everything. It's, that's changes. a baby. That's yeah. That's yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And 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 this is a everybody you know in the village. Everybody knows everybody. If it happens once, there is still actually a level of acceptance. Well, there used to be. But when it starts happening more and more and more, pew, everything changes. And it's totally understandable.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's totally understandable. So that's a perspective. And in the last few years, it's mainly been leopards that have been taking people, and particularly children. But now we have a tiger problem again. It has been certain, it's mainly in Shipwahan, but now we have the tiger problem here. So the perspective of the people around here, okay, it's, it's different. Yeah. They're not getting any really direct uh, help through the tourism industry and and so there's a there's a good government policy of of compensation and government now will almost write the check that day you know it's they're they're on to it
0: that's amazing yeah it's good that's amazing
1: although the motivation is behind it to try to just seal things down because you know there can be a lot of anger and sometimes the, the wheels still turn quite slowly before the actual payment comes through but but it is good that it happens, because in other, some other countries, it, it doesn't. Yeah. Nepal's got some good things going on there. But it doesn't satisfy the kind of whole safety thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Particularly if the tiger comes back. And then what we're we are in a situation particularly where we have being reactive. Maybe the work didn't go in as to how do we coexist. Because there was this huge focus on doubling the tiger, tiger population, mm-hmm. which is going back to you know all the reasons why. And then there's the resources caught up in doing that, you've got the anti-poaching emphasis as well as part of that, not not just ecology management, but, but anti-poaching, where, you know, there's millions of rupees spent every year. These guys are only getting $7 a day, but there's a lot of them. And so m- maybe the forethought wasn't there. What do we do when we have doubled the population? So now we have this perspective of people, you know, it's quite negative. And Babu and other, we, we know for maybe, I don't know how long, maybe two years we've been going, this is a, um, you know, we're kind of sitting on dynamite, but no one's lit the fuse. Well, the fuse is well and truly being lit. <laughs> the explosions are, mm, ha- are happening, you know what I mean? And so so that's where we're at right now. So that leads to this other perspective, and, and it's really the fifth element, which is the conservationists. You know what I mean? And And we're trying to... Be the mediator in many ways you know between the animals and the people who are affected you know what i mean we're we're the ones who are who are preaching coexistence and say oh well you know you you should do this you should do that and, we, and we're also trying to control the animals and and we were sort of implementing these strategies in that way and this whole push pull thing we're trying to keep it as harmonious as possible well guess what it's not really working mm. It's not really working because we have these five different perspectives. And when I go back to the first one, which is the people coming in here, that's actually this almost romantic thing, the people sitting in laptops in New York or London planning their holiday to Badia or Khanna or wherever in South Asia. That's what they have. You know, I want to see a tiger. You know what I mean? And that's great. That's great. It's, It's awesome that they appreciate the magnificence of these awesome animals. But all those perspectives and all those dynamics joined together, you know, we have a problem. (laughs) We have a problem. And some people can walk a jeep and fly away from the problem and never have to worry about it. Some people can still be making their rupees. Even some of the people um, that work in the park, their two-year shift will finish and they'll go to a mountain region. They'll go, God, thank God I'm away from there. (laughs) But the rest of us, the local conservationists and the community, we're still here. Yeah. And you know, and we, how, do, how do we deal with this thing? And now I think we're right on the cusp of either getting it really wrong or, or we can maybe get it right. And we're, we're sitting on the knife edge, I feel. Yeah. At the moment, there's a little lull because tiger, the problematic tigers have gone to jail. But a guy got bitten on the ass this morning. And he's in hospital, you know what I mean? And he was lucky.
0: But he's still here. Yeah. He was lucky.
1: It, it sounded like it was simply an encounter at his students. Yeah. Because if the tiger really wants to take you out, it will. Yeah. yeah. It will. I've just been to where this cow was killed. And, you know, everything pointed to it being leopard. But normally a leopard will grab on the neck mm-hmm. and, and bite. really seen the wound quite clearly. This looked like a whack. Because mm-hmm. when a tiger gives you a whack, it, it's all over pretty quick. And it's the same for us. And we have a saying, if, you, if you're going to get taken out, it's better to do it by tiger than leopard because leopard will – they kind of take their time. They're smaller. So, yeah, you know, whereas tiger, they're so powerful. Whack. So they could have easily done worse with this guy this morning. So we, we can look at it and go, okay, he did the wrong thing. And even I wrote it on a, um, on a post this morning because I gave a warning yesterday. <laughs> and even though it was yeah. a different area, it happened. Mm-hmm. It happened. And, and, and I'll come back to my area shortly because this cow – that got killed last night. It's quite significant. So I made a post. there was a little bit discussion about it. And Ramesh Tapa, one of the previous wards, we started chatting, and I saw him again tonight. And because I, I mentioned education, 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 and he said, yeah, but is it really education or is it attitude? Because, and he was dead right, and something we've all talked about. You can have a bloody PhD, but you still don't know how a tiger behaves. Even though you may mm-hmm. have that PhD in some sort of tiger dynamics, you know, you don't know how that tiger behaves the one that is now eating cattle next to that village you know what i mean the only people that have an, an idea how that tiger is behaving is are those people because they have to put up with it every day you know their fear factor comes in their livelihood impact comes in and their their perspective comes in you know what i mean so They may make a choice, you know. They have to listen to all the reasons why we have to save the tiger. But his family is living in fear. The whole village is living in fear. And so they have choices. They can insist that tiger gets removed. They can retaliate, maybe poison. Or they can learn to live with that animal. And I don't think we've been giving them the right tools to do that. Because we can... Say so, yeah, you've got to change your attitude. You know, you, you've got to keep safe, and and you, you've got to do the right thing. You've got to look at our guidelines. You've got to only go into the jungle between ten and three. You've got to make sure the women, if they are cutting grass or whatever, they've got to do it in a group and everyone looking out. And you know, all these things. And we can say that we can recommend it, and sure we can reduce conflict. And I'm quite positive we can, but. That's our perspective, you know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. not the ones sitting in there where that tiger has come into, you know what I mean? And, you know, I, I've had some pretty serious encounters with, you know, elephant, rhino, tiger, and leopard. And, you know, I've been pretty scared.
0: Yeah.
1: We're <laughs> sure. all for those animals. And, in fact, on two or three occasions, I've really thought, this could be it. You know what I mean? um, this is
0: the moment? Yeah, about yeah, About a yeah, good yeah. life? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and believing your life doesn't – flash before you you're just wondering if you've got clean underpants at home because honestly it's, 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 it's pretty amazing you know and then you get out of it and, and the adrenaline flows and you can tell a story yeah. and everything but when you're living like that on a day to day basis your perspective is different to us sitting here tonight yeah you know, we're safe we're yeah. safe you know in beautiful surroundings but you know if I'm a father sitting there and I've got little ones whether it's here or up in the mountains where there's been a leopard problem you're as worried as hell, so you you make decisions based on on, on those fears. You know uh, those people's cortisol levels are at an, uh, an unpleasant place for them. You know what I mean? They're dictating their perspective a lot, and uh, I don't think we're quite putting ourselves in their shoes enough in, in the way we manage it. You know what I mean? And and I, I've been as guilty as anybody of that, although I've tried. I've tried and I had an interesting experience a few years ago. It went on for 18 months where, effectively, I lived with a leopard. I was rehabilitating this cat. And I, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail on that now because I do need to sell books later.
0: <laughs> so, your whole story right now, <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. People will see it and go, Oh, we don't need to buy, we heard yeah, it all, right. yeah, we heard it all, Um, but no, 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 I no, I have told a lot and 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 I have got an ebook book coming out next month, which we'll go into, but. But the reason I, I want to tell a little more of that is because I, I did manage to see a lot of the world through that cat's eyes. You know, I had some incredible experiences because of that. You know what I mean? I, I saw him change his behavior when humans were close because he, I, I imprinted on him and we became isolated. So he saw me as something else, just as he would have seen his own guardian in the forest, which is a mother, is different because his own mother is different to another leopard because they, they avoid other leopards. They, they're kind of solitary animals, but they're solitary in the way that the, the family's a solitary, the family group, you know, if there's a mother and two or three leopards, you know, they stay away from other other animals most of the time. Not always. It's There's, there's more and more evidence that the father or even other relatives, sometimes they get together, you know. We're still understanding this. But We're starting to think that's happening because they have no choice. Mm. Because the kill. maybe they have no choice to do that. And and they're changing their behavior. So their tolerance of other big cats of their own species is increasing. But that that tolerance is only within species. It's certainly not. There's certainly no tolerance between a tiger and a a leopard. There's none. There's none. Like a, a leopard will take out tiger cubs if it can. And a tiger will take out any spotted cat that it can. So I guess what I'm saying is I managed to get a different perspective of how this particular cat met him there.
0: Oh, he's beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, he 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 really was.
0: Oh my gosh, he's beautiful. And
1: we we had an incredible time up there. Mm -hmm. It 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 was an experience that you know living in the Himalaya with a with a leopard. It was I can't really put into words, but I'm Uh, I'm I'm trying to do my best. I can't
0: imagine. I couldn't either. That's amazing. And.
1: It was something that I feel blessed to have experienced. But I also quickly understood that I have to use that and realize that I had the opportunity to learn. And I have to use that to the best of my ability. Mm. And also, I promised him. I promised him. I don't know how many times I said, look, I'm doing my best for you, but I will do my best for your species, which is severely persecuted. You know what I mean? Mm. And I'll come onto that towards the end a little bit more because it comes down to perspective again. So I did see the world... Through us's eyes, and literally, I did sometimes because we would be sitting there together, watching humans in the distance, and they didn't know we were there. And if they got too close, he 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 would move, he would get away. You know, it was real fight or flight stuff. And I remember once we were on this ridge line, and he sensed activity before me, and it was a um, farmer coming up with some buffalo, and he shot down quite a steep um, slope. And stopped, and I, I ran down to be next to him, and I put my hand on him, and he bit me, because he didn't want to be impeded anyway. And then he shot down another about twenty meters, and he wanted to be at least fifty meters away. And we watched together in quite thick uh, vegetation. We watched this guy move through with three or four buffalo. And we just watched them quietly go past. And I was dictated by us's behavior as to when we move. You know what I mean? I I let him call the shots, which as he got bigger and bigger, I let him do. And as as time went by and we were slowly separating, it would be more and more days before I would find him or sometimes he would find me. I won't go into the details now, but I would set up these kind of food grids for him and I would have to lug food up for sometimes six, eight hours. You know what I mean? (sighs) And then, But then as he was starting to hunt himself, I would have to do that less. And then we completely separated, as I wanted to happen, naturally. But my learning in that time was that he wanted nothing he wanted nothing to do with any other human being. And his tolerance to, towards me was growing less and less, I think, partly as his guardian, but also as a human as well. He was starting to understand, that. yeah he, he knew. He knew that I wasn't a leopard, obviously. But there was an understanding between us that I was doing my very best, and he wasn't always that appreciative. I mean, one day he took my, one of my boots up a tree, and it took, <laughs> took me two hours to train stones before he, before I managed to hit one of the boots. He came down. We we we, we had a lot of fighting. <laughs> There's a lot of stories I could tell you about that, and I will one day. It wasn't okay. It was one of the better relationships I had, but um, but uh, but, it, but it was incredible. It was incredible. So I, I had an opportunity to learn, which I, I did the best of my ability, I think. But I had to take it to the next step of what I do next. So I got his perspective. And my attitude towards the, the way we should relate to big cats changed a lot. And, and Barbara will tell you, I'm a little bit intolerant right now, you know, when, when people just like my tigers or leopards, you know. I don't like it. I don't like it. And if tourists are with a good guide or is responsible, cool, because the tiger is still in control. But sometimes that's not always happening, you know what I mean? And some rescues or some other encounters, I can get a little bit fractious about it because I'm going, no, that's not right. You know what I mean? I've been on rescues and all sorts of situations. I so know you, you've got to do it like this. You know, We've got to control this crab. There's certain things we have to do to let this – animals settle down, and, and also show it a bit of respect. And that was the other word that came in my conversation with Ramesh today. You know, we, we had education, and we had attitude, and, and we brought in respect. You know, those three words. And it's how we kind of bring three, all three things together, but looking at all those different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've all been a little bit guilty of being more biased towards our own perspectives. Right. And even as a conservationist, I've done that. And even because I managed to see the world through a leopard's eyes as, as, as much as was almost possible, I still have to always look at the perspective of that villager. And when I've gone to villages where, you know, there's been a man-eating leopard, and I, I, I like using that phrase, but but it's the one that everybody understands, and, and, a, and, a, and a little four or five-year-old's been taken, and, and, you know, I've had grandmothers and other people just sobbing, oh. just you know gripping going please you know you know you do start to understand their perspective mm-hmm. you do yeah. you know what i mean Absolutely. so that's why i can also get a little bit fractious with statistics again when people start talking about how many people have been killed by tiger leap in a certain area and they're saying, well they should have done they should have done that i go well, hang on it's not your fucking kid that's been killed you know? yeah and sometimes people are a little bit guilty of not Putting themselves in…
0: Humanizing the situation.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Generally, they do, but maybe more Mm. as far as what needs to be achieved and for us to get the outcome we we want, which is a more harmonious coexistence, which we know can never be perfect. But if we can reduce this conflict to a level that there is one or two fatalities here and there, everyone will accept that that's just where we're living and that's just life. You've still got more chance of going over a, a steep slope on a bus in Nepal than you have got eaten by a tiger, you know what I mean? And most people will accept that. They they really will. But because we've had all this conflict of lay, you know, as severe as it can get, which is someone dying, perspectives are afraid. So everyone's reaction has been because of that. We've been really reactive. And that's a little bit disappointing because, you know, Babu has taken guidelines down to some really high risk areas and, and the armed police force have done their best, but the, and the people didn't listen, you know? And, and so we've gone, ah, oh, what do we do? What do we do? You know, and the boys in NTNC are going, ah, oh, it's the people, it's the people. It's very easy to sit back and do that because, yeah, it, it's kind of right, but even though where I sleep, you know, tigers and roam not that far away and leopards roam even closer, I'm still safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am, I am. And also – I've been kind of working and around these animals for a long time, and I don't have to kind of cut grass mm. in the jungle. I don't have to work paddy fields, you know what I mean? And and, and also, having spent a lot of time with, with that leopard, you know, I see, I see a leaf twitch now because I, I was always looking, where is he? Where is he? Because he used to jump me the whole time. You know I mean? <laughs> and so now, if I'm anywhere, I have a much better perspective of, of how those animals work a little bit, much more than I had before and they can really sneak up on you. So the the guy working paddy field or sugar cane or the woman cutting grass, if if the tiger decides, "Ah, I don't want them here, or worse still because of some things that have been happening, I'm hungry, you don't stand much of a chance. You know what I mean? I probably stand more chance than you because I'm a taller monkey. But to them, I am only a monkey. I am only a primate. It's just that they know we're primates that, You've got to be careful because they are risk averse. They know you've got to be careful of us because they know we're dangerous. And I think it's more than just how we might fight back in an encounter. I'm positive that both tigers and leopards know that we've done a lot of damage to these species. I'm convinced they, they know that. You know, I'm convinced the mother will, on her cubs, be careful of those big, tall monkeys. You know what I mean? But when you've got a mother tiger like the one we're monitoring now walking right down that fence line with two cubs two little cubs which are maybe only two months old very little and still maybe every chance still taking milk and the mother ducks in and kills the cow maybe leaves the cubs in the vegetation eats 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 eats, as much as it can goes back and feeds her cubs what are they learning yeah. These are highly intelligent, evolved animals who learn from, from their mother, and, and tigers do that. Leopards are a little more instinctive, but they still have learned behavior as well, depending on where, where they live. But tigers tend to learn off their mothers more. So, so if these two little ones witnessed that last night, and maybe, you know, I'm, I'm only speculating here, but let's just paint the scenario. Maybe it's the first time they've seen their mother kill, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe not, but it's a possibility. So that's why um, the GameScout that we work with, you know, it was good that we discussed it this morning, So okay, well, let's really attend this. So we were as proactive as we can. Carla, that was on on the phone to HQ. So we'll do our very best. There was a lot of people watching what we were doing. We were telling them why. And we were explaining, you know, this is a situation. And, you know, a woman from your village has recently been killed. You know, you've really got to manage this in your thinking in your perspective you know what i mean so we were proactive we've given them the guidelines so what do we do next now often we we don't do enough we don't back it up and that's always been my thing and we've got to keep moving you know there may not be another human fatality for six months and then everyone gets relaxed and even someone who like me who kind of it's always on my mind because i you know, every every single day I get reports from all over South Asia about other people getting killed, mostly about tigers and leopards getting killed. So I, it's in my consciousness the whole time. But even I relax a little bit sometimes as to what could happen. So now we have to look at a modus operandi, you know, of, of, of dismissing that blasé, relaxed attitude, which can and don't get me wrong, you know, I love these people. It can be a Nepali trait. <laughs> because they like to relax, they like to have a good time, and you know, and bless them for that. But sometimes that can lead to problems like this when you're living in a place like this. You know what I mean? So yeah, if we go six, eight months with no fatalities, this mindset will creep in. Problems not there anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. We we can't do that anymore. We just can't do it. We have to keep educating, educating, educating. Which is what I said today, and. Ramesh is we have to keep looking at attitude, attitude, attitude. We can't stop. And that's where we've gone wrong in the, in the past, I, I think. And maybe we got a warning shot today. We're in area where two tigers have been extracted and three people killed, I think. But someone was attacked today. So you know, it can still happen. But what's going to happen next? So I was thinking about that a lot today. I was thinking about our, our area up here, how we manage this possibility. And I'll go back after 7 o'clock and check to see if this big cat did come back to the kill. And it was very good that we can convince the community. It was mainly, it was between, kind of between Mahanpoh and Batanpoh. So it was really good that they left the kill there, which is something I've really wanted to happen. And government will pay for it. Sometimes we've done it. You know, we've paid for a goat to be left there, so to see if the cat comes back. But government will do it this time. And if the cat comes back, we'll, we'll get, maybe to get some ID. And then we can maybe go to a next, stage of strategy where we can look at start using uh, dna extraction which we've done successfully with a human fatality in a in hill area but it's something you know, i i really want to see happen so i'm going to talk to you robin tomorrow morning about because there was some scat which is very unusual next to the kill but it was hard you know my first thought was ah oh, it's leopard but it could have been an unwell tiger she's gestating and there's milk flying through, then sometimes, you know, there can always be like a, a, a loose motion verging on diarrhea. It wasn't that, but it was a smaller scat than what a tiger would drop normally. But sometimes females, scat can be a lot smaller than, than, than males. So we have the capacity here and now to, here in two or three labs, to get species ID. And at one lab, we can even, uh, with tiger, we can get it down to individual ID. Wow. And we're getting, you know, we're getting more and more closer with, individual leopard idea as well and and the geneticist involved in that is a friend of mine and you know know, every second day we're talking about how can we improve it how can we get it going so if we can start bringing that in I'm talking to a few supporters at the moment including one of the really big organizations you know trying to convince them we've got to use these high-tech tools, but we can't just keep it in ourselves in our journals and our We've got to take it out into the community and say, this is what we're doing, you know what I mean? We've got to teach this stuff in schools, in our our little kids' schools. We've got to share all the stuff in a way that they totally understand.
0: Quick interjection here. I wanted to explain Jack's comment about Tigers going to jail. Since Nepali don't kill wildlife that has spiritual significance, problem tigers are often captured and put into captivity of some sort, whether that be to the Central Zoo in Kathmandu, a holding area in the National Park, or another arrangement. While this might solve the issue in the moment, this practice is very short-term thinking and doesn't resolve human-tiger conflict, which Jack discussed at length. Okay, back to the conversation.
1: So I'm I'm, going to come to the last part of it which is the perspective of kids um and you met some children today um one group and you met a headmaster but it's taken this much conflict to really get people really serious now and i'm i'm really busy with a lot of stuff so i haven't been on those field trips that babu and a couple of others have done but the feedback i'm getting is that the headmasters and everybody is very positive you know and that's that's awesome and when I say positive, they're, they're really paying attention. Maybe they're paying attention because, you know, it's someone's been killed in their area, and maybe this is what it's taken. So maybe the perspective is at this kind of heightened level. You know what I mean? And so now is the time to really jump in on this. And the thing about tigers is, it is a rock star species, and all this huge global effort has gone to doubling the global numbers, which isn't going to happen by next year, but. Three countries have managed to achieve it, but I'll be at the party, but we have to be realistic about it. We did come from a low base. We can go, yeah, okay, we've done it, but it can't stop here. We've got to look at how we manage these tigers. And maybe now that we've done it and a few people through the politicians can go rah, 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 and they have no idea about tiger ecology, but they'll be the ones to wave the flag that we doubled the numbers. <laughs> maybe then we can forget about the numbers and, and concentrate purely on habitat and how we can really live with these animals because that's the key. Doubling tiger numbers means nothing if if a whole lot of people are going to die and uh, consequently tigers will die too in retaliation and also the more tigers you've got you've got more opportunity for poachers. That's another story which I won't go into right now because that will lead me right into what's happening to Leopard which is another big cat closely related but is getting smashed really badly, unfortunately, in the pile right through the country. And you can read my online stuff too. (laughs) The reason I mention it, though, is when I talk to the kids group that I've got and that's been a pretty magical thing for me as well because it's given me another perspective and it's also given me a lot of hope it only started because a friend said can you do some work English with my daughter you know and I said yeah yeah sure to be honest I think this kid's English was probably better than mine but I started to realize yeah she is a a really smart little kid and she now her English is really good no thanks to me you know (laughs) it's because she's a smart kid but then I said you know let's get a little wildlife group to get together so she got a family. before COVID, we actually had managed to outreach to 200 kids. You know, it just grew from, from that. And, and now we're looking at it as a tool to how we can mitigate this conflict. So the tiger is the rock star because that's almost the perspective that it's like, almost like celebrity culture that we've always been kind of like manipulated to do. But when you ask those, if I take 10 of those kids or 12 of those kids, what their favorite animal, only maybe two of them would say tiger because they're not influenced, they're not sitting there going, oh, I want to go to holiday to India or Nepal. Oh, one of the things to do is to go tiger spotting, and then it all happens. Oh, tigers, I love tigers, because everyone loves tigers. You know what I mean? Their perspective is different again, and to me, it's the most important perspective, because we can get them on the right track, and not in a skewed way that maybe all of us have been. You know what I mean? The conservationist has all this stuff thrown stuff at, at, at us. The community has the kind of village talk. They get told by conservationists what to do, and then something goes wrong and their own consciousness takes over. So but with these kids and how we get the information out there, and, and that's why we want to back up the guidelines as soon as possible in these highly affected areas with some storytelling mm. and a way of explaining that isn't this is how you do it kind of stuff. It's more like, you know, we're very lucky to have these animals, but these animals are, why we have the air that we breathe is because of these animals, you know, because of this forest. And gently let them understand that. And at the same time go, but, you know, we have to be really careful of these animals as well. And, and really explain to them that, yeah, they're carnivores and, and we, we are only primates. And bring that perspective in. Because they, they lap it up. And when I showed my little group, and we've got this drama going, I showed them the, these photographs and a little video of leopards getting caught in snares and, and tigers getting caught in snares. They, they they just knew it was wrong. Whereas a, a, maybe some child in, in, in the mountains wouldn't see it as being wrong. Or maybe some child in Southeast Asia where you know it's just out of control and they've lost their tigers and leopards in many places now. What's the problem? So we still have an audience now that is completely fresh and innocent and knows tigers and leopards are important, but they don't really understand why. But we can give them that, that perspective that they're important. We need them, but we have to be careful. And we have to live a certain way to make sure that we can coexist so that Nothing goes wrong, you know, so that your family is safe. And because, because, sadly, in a village not far away, people have died. And 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 nearly everyone here, well, actually, in the little group that I'm talking about, they, they have either lost somebody through elephant or maybe tiger. They, they do know it happens. So they have a pretty balanced perspective that hasn't been influenced by us, all this stuff. So we've got to try and bring that back. I haven't been too confident about the whole thing, but... It's, I just feel we need to change the way we do it and, and the way we get these attitudes right. And it's going to take some time. But we we can't get complacent. We, we can't. You know, we lost a tiger to a, a very a really horrendous snare trap incident in the same area where this most recent woman was got killed. And all that happened, you know, where we are working on that kill tonight, putting cameras in and working it out. So we now have an opportunity with all the stuff going on to go... This is it. All these things are happening. We've got to do better. You know, we've got to improve it. But it's it's all of us. You know, we can't come and say we have the answers, and we're not there yet with that. You know, I just don't feel the communication space is where it can be right now. There's still some people not happy with the way the big cats are being managed, and some of us not happy with the way people are still sneaking into the park or not adhering to the guidelines. So, so what's it going to take for us all to get together and? In the interim, we're using the kids to take the guidelines home. But now, very soon, we need them to take other material home, the, the storytelling aspect. So that's pretty much, see- I see how we can uh, reduce the conflict markedly. But we're probably going to have a little bit of pain and hurt before that happens. It's, it's almost certain. You know, I'd be shocked. I, I really hope. but And we've really got to jump on it in a way that everybody understands. You know, that, that person in the laptop in New York as well, that they've got to understand because them just coming in with big, you know, 600-millimeter cameras and not really understanding what's going on, that's a shame because globally we're not coexisting with wildlife very well. You know what I mean? Not at all. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, this is where the message here, it's, you know, we're with in this kind of microcosm, but it's representative of everything that's going on. And that's why Bardia is, is an incredible place because it's raw and it's real and it's in your face, this stuff. But I, I really feel the guides and hotels could do a much better job at really educating people. And that maybe they won't be so hell-bent on seeing a tiger. They'll be much more interested in knowing what's going on here. And maybe, and, you know, they'll, they'll want to go and visit a village, not just to see a cultural program. They'll want to understand what it's really like to live with big cats. You know what I mean? And if that happens... I'd be very happy, (laughs) you know what I mean, because I think it would be would be a long way to not having, not only you know getting good solutions here, but but much further out as well. So yeah.
0: (laughs) That was awesome. So I know we've taken so much of your time, but is there anything that you want to ask of anybody listening, or how can somebody who is halfway across the world help in all of this?
1: I, I, it's fantastic. You've asked that question because, you know, the obvious thing is to go, yeah, buy my ebook next month. <laughs> Do you want me to repeat that? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but much more importantly, it's, it's their perspective. If there's anything i said tonight that maybe gets them to look at their own perspective, then I, once again, I'd be really happy because we are facing these huge problems. You know, I've just turned 60 and in my lifetime, we've lost around 60% of the planet's wildlife you know and and that's something i think about every single day because i've seen it you know i i, I, I go into places now that I, I used to go 30 years ago there's there's nothing there anymore and and i'm not the only one you know i have this conversation every day with people around the world i mean, we're really worried and if this carries on like this for the next 10 years we, it may not be right and i'm not talking about saving even saving certain species i'm I'm really talking about ecosystems, as you know, as such. And, you know, there's big fires in the pole right now. You know, bigger fires than we've had previously. Hell, and and, and I got a, I, I contacted a guy in one hill area where I know leopards live, and he goes, Jack, it's, the whole slope's just a blaze. There'll, there'll be nothing there. You know, we just got to hope they got out. And we've got to look at all all the reasons for that and you know it's the whole snowflake thing what what happens these fires burning here today and you know it's it's affecting everything and it's you can certainly bring climate into the issue you can bring why these fires started with some pretty irresponsive farming practice because a lot of the fires were lit to to bring in fresh feed for their livestock so it, it becomes a livelihood issue all of a sudden you know and all these things start to add up, so it comes down to each individual looking you know, at what's my impact. And and I, I challenge myself daily anyway, I've, all, I've been in that habit for a long time. And since COVID, I've heard a lot of talk about, oh, we've got to do better and change our ways. But I haven't a lot of government speak. <laughs> it's only come from people like us, and instead I haven't even heard it from friends outside the conservation sector. I haven't heard any of them challenge themselves. I've heard a lot of people complain that they can't travel. And I'm thinking, well, if we're not getting the message across, we're also failing as conservation. But I'm not going to beat myself up on about that because we are trying, you know. But once again, if we can get that message across in a a storytelling way to to children, we can possibly get that generational change. But if we don't, (laughs) I I also also have a grandchild now who who I haven't met yet apart Mm. from on, on my phone. And, you know, I really worry about the consequences of our of our actions now. So, yeah, the microcosm of how we can live with these tigers and these leopards, but it's just that's just representing a huge picture. So, yeah, if you, if you'd like to buy the ebook, great, it's only ten dollars. But much more importantly, think about your own impact, you know, your own your own footprint in your own backyard. Act locally and think globally because they're connected. Mm. Simple as that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're quite active on social media and if anybody wants to follow you and your work and what is your ebook? I mean, all things. How can anybody um, follow you?
1: Yeah, sure. You can go to the, the the organization site, which is wildtiger.org, and my site is wildleopard.net. It's a blog site, although I may be donating the site, wildleopard.net, to the there's a there's a group of us globally, leopard people, looking at forming like a kind of global initiative, and I may do, donate the site to mm. them. But for for now, yeah, wildleopard.net is me the The first ebook I've been delaying it for a little while because everything has been tiger, 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 and you kind of got to manage these things. But yeah, look, you know, a I mean, if, if you read whatever, you can read a lot of stuff, and, and the site will get a little bit tighter once the ebook comes in. That's super cool. But but yeah, just to engage yourself in the storytelling that goes on there or whatever, and I'm, I'm happy for anyone to message and interact. I really am, you know. And if they do. I'll, I'll let you know because it means they listen to the blog.
0: Yeah. yes, <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, 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 please. I, I, I welcome any sort of an engagement, you know what I mean? And yeah, if they want to go that next step and help, like I say, it's, it's more about how we can all tell stories and, 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 and make some know, I, I would love to report in a year's time, yeah, we had no more fatalities. Mm. That would be freaking awesome. Yeah. But let's do our best. But we actually have to do our best. You know? <laughs> we can't just talk about it. And there's been, there's some awesome ideas out there. And we're right on the verge of stuffing it up if we, if we don't act now. And that, that really comes from the heart because I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. And if you do take it right back to the human level, which is a little bit worse like now, I mean, it's very raw coexistence when, when someone dies from being killed by a big cat. It's just like it's raw when you see a, a leopard caught in a snare trap you know it's yeah it's as real as it gets you know and, and then having kind of witnessed both i just don't wish that on any human being or any big cat you know it's just not yeah. right so we've got to really look into our our, our hearts on this as well and, and I'm, I'm gonna the last thing i'm gonna say is, is something about uh, yeah, one of the most fantastic conservationists that's, who's ever lived. Uh, he's a hero. Of mine, a guy, guy called George Scholler. He said conservation can't just come from the head. It's it, it's it's got to also come from the heart. I think that's that that sums it up really well. So yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, <laughs> yeah. this was amazing, Jack. Thank you so much. Wow, talk about an intense, fascinating conversation, right? I really love Jack's call to action for all of us to reflect on our impact and perspective and devise ways that we can help wildlife, local communities, and our planet. If you go through this exercise and have ideas you'd like to share, please reach out on social media or email. Just look up Rewildology, and you'll find me. Next week, the Nepal Coexisting with Giant series continues with more raw stories and engaging conversations. Can't wait to meet you there. The Nepal Coexisting with Giants series was recorded in March, 2021, with me, your host, Brooke Mitchell Norman, and fellow conservationist, Courtney Gonzalez. All of the stories shared are from the guest viewpoints and their firsthand experiences. A special thanks to the Katie Adamson Conservation Fund for helping to support this series through their Conservation Travel Fund and connecting us with their amazing Nepalese partners. To hear more about KACF and their founder, check out episode two with Dave Johnson. If you're liking the show, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. If you're feeling super squirrely, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. Sharing is the best way to help the show grow, and I couldn't do it without you. Until next time, my friends, together we will rewild the Planet.